Support for Boston Public Radio comes from New England Recovery Center, providing inpatient addiction treatment in state-of-the-art facilities located in Westboro, Mass. All major insurance plans accepted. Learn more at newenglandrecoverycenter.org. And Safety Insurance, offering a variety of home insurance products to cover your home's increased value. You can ask an independent agent about safety insurance. Safety Insurance will help you manage life's storms. I'm Jim Browning. And I'm Marjorie Egan. This is the best of Boston Public Radio, a new daily podcast from GBH featuring our favorite conversations from our three-hour radio show in under 40 minutes. Don't panic. If you love filling your phone with episodes of our full show podcast, you can still find it anywhere you get your podcast or just catch us live on 89.7 GBH starting at 11 o'clock. Today on the podcast, Dr. Ashish Jha, fresh off his thin as President Biden's COVID czar, tells us we're in better shape than we used to be but still plenty of work to be done to prepare for the next pandemic. And we get a preview of the Beats by Girls Festival. It's Saturday on City Hall Plaza. Organizer and musician Naomi Westwater tells us all about it and treats us to a few original songs, too. Okay, here's the show. Dr. Ashish Jha. Yeah, thank you so much for coming in today. Like I said, when I met you, I've seen you a million times on TV, but never in person. So thank you for coming in. So give people an idea. Where are we now with COVID-19 in the United States? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Pleasure. It is awesome to see you guys. That's great to see you. It's a great Um, spot, isn't it? It's a great spot. I mean, I've been to this library so many times, but I love being here for this. Um, So look, in terms of COVID, we're three and a half years in. This virus is around. It's going to be around probably forever. And... You know, right now we're in a lull. We're at some of the lowest levels of infection. I don't think any of us expect that that lull will continue. We'll see it go back up again. And we have shifted from a point where this virus in the first six months, first year, was really terrifying. It was killing uh, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, at times 100,000 people in a month, to a point where we can manage it. And we can manage it safely. We can manage it in a way that keeps everybody healthy, doesn't disrupt our healthcare system. So the way I look at it is you can choose to ignore the virus if you make some smart decisions. Stay up to date on your vaccines. Get treated when you get an infection. Um, Do basic things, and then we can manage our way forward and really not have to worry about this. One last thing I'll say. You know, look, the the hardest part about this virus in the entire three and a half years has been making predictions about what it's going to do. Yeah. Because it has surprised us every single time we have made a prediction. And when I got to the White House, I realized I got to get out of the prediction business and I got to get into the preparation business. So we spent the last 15 months saying, what do we need to be, to be doing to be prepared if we get a new variant, to be prepared if we get a totally new pandemic? And that has been the major focus of the work in the White House. And I think we're just in much better shape than we were a couple of years ago. Yeah, but you said, Dr. Shaw, a minute ago, if people do, I think you said something like, do the right thing. We have nothing to fear, but people aren't doing the right thing. I think the most recent booster data, even in Massachusetts, and I assume we're probably better at protecting ourselves, was what, 30% of people got the booster. So people do act like there aren't 50,000 people still dying a year. They act like your grandmother is not at risk. There is a, yeah. an attitudinal problem. Well, no? yeah, there is. The way I look at it is, look, um, it's been a long pandemic, um, most people got the initial set of vaccines, certainly most people in Massachusetts, but even in the country, 90% of adults got at least one shot. 
Um, and I think there was a little bit of vaccine fatigue that had set in. And my hope is, you know, we're going to get an updated vaccine this fall. It's particularly important if you're older, if you're over 65, if you have chronic diseases. My hope is people just treat this as a routine thing they do every fall. You go out and get your flu shot. Like, I never think, oh, this is my 29th flu shot, right? <laughs> right? Like, no, it's my annual flu shot. Go get your annual COVID shot. And maybe for some high-risk people, they might need to get a shot twice a year, the highest risk. But for most people, one shot once a year is going to keep them in good shape. I hope that once we get into that routine, those numbers will come up. So we had Dr. Anthony Fauci on about a year ago, and we tried about 18 ways to get him to talk about what it was like with working with Donald Trump. And he avoided the question 18 <laughs> times. What was it like? He's very good that way. What was it like working with uh, President Biden? Dr. It was extraordinary. John? It was extraordinary. Um, he is deeply practical. Um, he has so much experience. He sees through clutter and noise in a way that I have never seen anybody else do. There have been times when we've presented plans to him. First of all, it's always daunting being in the Oval Office and presenting a plan. That was my next. What is that like when you're sitting on the most powerful person on the planet? In the most iconic of spaces. I mean, it's to say that it is humbling and awe-inspiring would be an understatement. Um, But, you know, we present plans to him and he, like, gets to the heart of the matter, immediately gets to the most important issue. Um, The other thing that I found really extraordinary about working with the president is, you know, there was one time I was talking to him about something about a policy idea, and I said, you know, the politics of this is a little bit difficult. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Doc, I, he just called me Doc, which is fine. Uh, he said, you know, Doc, you worry about the public health, I'll worry about the politics, I'm pretty good at the politics. <laughs> and I said, yes, you are, sir, you're pretty good at the politics. The point was, like, he really wanted me to focus on what's the right answer, and then we got to figure out how to implement that. So, so even a lot of Democrats are worried about Joe Biden because he's 80 now. I think, is he 80 or 81? I think he's 80. I think he's 80. Um, but, but you seem to think he was totally compassmentous and with it. Yes. Well, I mean, he's ex- look, I, he's 80, and you can physically see that. He walks a little more slowly than yeah. he did when he was 50. I think I walk more slowly than I probably did when I was 20. Um, but when it comes to, like, focusing on the important issues, engaging... Uh, I have to tell you, like, it was very, very impressive. And I think all this nonsense about his mental status is just that. It's nonsense as a distraction. That is not an issue. You know, you were a really positive but honest person in my encounters with you uh, prior to your moving to the White House. But you wake, I looked up this morning, only 39% of the American people have a great deal of confidence in science. In science. We also discussed this with Fauci. RFK Jr., who is, is, in my opinion, as dangerous as virtually anybody in this country, with that name and that profile is at 15 or 20 percent in a Democratic primary against Joe Biden. What do you and people who do what you do for a living say we're going to do to try to restore confidence in something that shouldn't be controversial? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. I I wish I had a simple answer. I, I guess I think we go back to the basics. Look, first and foremost, I think public health did not get everything right in the last three and a half years. I mean, first of all, there wasn't one public health voice. There were a lot of disagreements, but even a lot of us in the public health community didn't get everything right. I think part of restoring trust begins by acknowledging that, acknowledging the mistakes. Um, And then the second is just communicating openly and honestly with people. I think uh, the challenge is in a pandemic that's fast moving, you don't know all the science. And there's a temptation to say, well, here's the right answer. And I have tried, and I would not say I've been perfect, but I have tried to say, here's what I think is the right answer based on the data we have. But by the way, 
if we learn new stuff, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to tell you that it was, it's a little different. Do you have experiences I, dealing with either members of Congress or others who were cynics or worse, whose mind you believe in your 14, 15 months there were cracked open a little bit to reality? Yeah, absolutely. You do? I, I do. I, I spent a lot of time up on the Hill. Um, when I went up there, when I started my job, there was a lot of skepticism about whether we needed to continue focusing on COVID, whether it was still a problem. Uh, and I found, you know, I will tell you, again, I, I probably didn't meet with the most extreme members of the parties. I tended to meet with people who were kind of more, a bit more in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, Republicans and Democrats, I found them to be people who care deeply about getting the answer right, were very open to hearing my ideas. Didn't mean I converted everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I did, but of course that's not realistic. Um, but I found those engagements to be both heartening and made me feel hopeful about our political leaders. You know, one of the things that's scary to me, though, you have, um, he, he, he's not going to be the nominee, I don't think, but Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's gaining uh, traction among Democrats and is a vaccine denier. I don't think he's going to get that far, but you never know. Or stuff online. I mean, we talked the other day about a Louisiana judge who, who has uh, said that uh, it limited what the government can do to correct misinformation about things like COVID, which is really scary because there is so much misinformation. What do you see going forward on that front? Yeah. Um, So first of all, um, I think as I have sort of said to Jim, I do think we have to go back to basics. And some of that basics also includes trusted voices. I mean, my question that I ask people is, you know, if you get a cancer diagnosis, where are you going to figure out where to get treatment? Are you going to get it from like somebody randomly tweeting online use cisplatin, not carboplatin? Yeah. Like, presumably not. Presumably you're going to go to an oncologist who's an expert in that area. So I think there's a really large role for experts, doctors, public health officials, nurses, others, to speak more uh, forcefully. I have always believed that the best way to counter bad information is by spreading more good information. Um, you know, one of the reasons bad information took hold in this pandemic is we had an information vacuum. In the early days, I think a lot of people weren't willing to speak up because we didn't know all the answers and we right. wanted to wait But when you're waiting, there's a vacuum, and then bad actors come in and fill that void. So I have been encouraging people in the medical community, public health community, doctors, nurses, others, uh, to speak up more and to really be spreaders of good information. That is the best way I know to counter bad information. You know, Dr. Ashish Shah, who was the uh, COVID coordinator for President Biden for 15 months and is now returning to his job as dean of the School of Public Health at uh, Brown down there in Providence. Lena Wen, another person who did spectacular work during covid who was the Baltimore Public Health Commission, none of the things, well, wrote a very complimentary piece about you when you announced you weren't going to be continuing that capacity. She talked about many of the things you achieved, the, a far broader understanding of the examination of wastewater, which we've done here, I think, pretty well Extremely in the well. state, under Governor Baker and some others, better indoor air quality. She also talked about Project Next Gen as one of your babies. What is it? Yeah. So look, uh, Operation Warp Speed under President Trump, I think, was uh, one of his biggest accomplishments. It was. Um, uh, you know, took, we, we created and, and got across the finish line uh, multiple vaccines in record time. These vaccines have been terrific. As I said, you know, they've saved lives. I think we all agree the vaccines are not quite what they, we want them to be. Um, they don't protect you against infection long enough. They don't do enough to reduce transmission. Uh, and then you have to constantly update them because the virus keeps changing. And so actually, even before I went to the White House, but once I got there, you know, I think we all agreed we need a next generation of vaccines and treatments. We've had monoclonal antibodies that are fantastic, but then they stop working because the virus evolves. So Project NextGen is essentially a U.S. government investment 
uh, on building the next generation of vaccines that are mucosal vaccines, intranasal vaccines that will block infection and transmission, uh, variant-resistant vaccines, and then treatments that will be enduring. I really think that that, combined with private sector effort, can really make a big difference. Is there enough public money or commitment we to public money? We put $5 billion into it. I think that's a good amount. Uh, I think that will make a very large difference. In some of your exit interviews, you also said that we are better prepared for the next pandemic. Unfortunately, another Bostonian doesn't totally agree with you. Her, she was head of the CDC, and a piece she wrote, uh, Dr. Walensky, in the New York Times, which I'm sure you read, yep. she said, we're not prepared for the next pandemic. She goes on to say, to this day, some of our public health, I shouldn't laugh, data systems are reliant on fax machines yep. to make it happen. The head of the International uh, uh, Red Cross also thinks internationally we're not ready. Why the divide yeah. between the Walenskys and the Jaws? I don't even know that there's much of a divide. And by the way, you know, Rochelle and I are, are both close colleagues and friends, and I thought that was, piece was very good. Um, what I, the way I look at it is, we were here. We were totally unprepared. We are much better prepared. We are not where we need to be. So that work needs to continue. So our surveillance is better. Our, we have strategic national stockpile that is now pretty full of like gloves and gowns and masks and all the stuff you need to have. Um, we've made a lot of progress. We just got to keep going. And so Rochelle is absolutely right. We are not where we need to be. You know what I often wonder, too? It, it, we had the terrible flu pandemic back in 1918, 1919. And then we had this almost 100 years later. And we've had you know, bad flus. Yep. But, but this was a big international yep. disaster. So what is it in the science world? It, you know, why 100 years? Could it be in 20 years? Could it be 10 years? It's going to be another. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. So a lot of people ask me a different version of that question is, well, do we get another 100-year break? Yeah, right? exactly. And I wish it worked that way. That would Margie be and I will take 20, by the <laughs> yeah. way. That's right. Um, look, um, I, I said this before this pandemic, that we are entering an age of pandemics. I really do. I have felt that for years. Uh, the number of new outbreaks, novel outbreaks among humans has been rising. If you ask why, uh, climate change is a major contributor, environmental How changes. How so? Well, climate change, it does a couple of things. I mean, first is you start seeing totally different vectors. Like diseases show up in places that haven't okay. before. So there's no natural immunity. So you can imagine a virus in a community. There's immunity there and it's stayed in that place. It shifts, now hits a new population, and then throw in globalization on top of that, and then it spreads globally. Okay. So I fully expect that we are going to see more uh, multinational outbreaks. Obviously, none of us hope, all of us hope that we don't see anything quite like this again. But that is, hope is, again, hope is not a strategy. Uh, we have to assume we're going to see more pandemics like this, and we have to get prepared. You, you, start, you mentioned climate change is the first thing. Is there anything else besides climate change that's yeah, so impact? Climate, climate change, um, basically most, and again, I'm not going to get into the origins of COVID because none of us know exactly how this virus started, but most viruses are a spillover from animals to humans. Economic development has meant that the demand for meat products has gone way up around the world. That means we're going into animal habitats and killing more animals. That is leading to more spillover. So there's okay. just a lot more of these kinds of interactions than we've ever had before. And then throw in globalization on top of that, local outbreaks become global outbreaks very quickly. So, Dr. Ja, I, I, when you were describing in beautiful terms what it's like to walk into the Oval Office, communicate with the president, you think of it that way. I think the stress level must be out of control. Is it? I mean, you're a pretty calm guy and a pretty even, you appear to me, I need to be. Was there not a stress level that was unlike anything you ever experienced? 
you know, there's a pace in the White House that's very different. And stress, yes, but I think, look, you also get, I had a great team. Um, I had a very clear mission. Um, there were some high-stakes decisions. I mean, there were days where I was like, I really hope we're getting this right. Do you doubt yourself at all when you're, when you're called in to see the president or his key advisors? Do you doubt yourself? I think the way I look at it is I double and triple check my own thinking. And a lot of it, by the way, also is there are times I'll just pick up the phone and call a colleague outside. I'll be like, look, can't get you all the details, but how do you think about this one part of it? I did a lot of that because at the end of the day, my job was to get the answer as close to right as possible. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who gets credit. doesn't matter who gets – I just – we got to get stuff right. And so that just meant there was a lot of work that went into this. How does it feel to be back in the dreaded private sector? <laughs> huh? Huh? I, I will tell you uh, – uh, it, it's, it's pretty great to be back home. It's you know, you know home. one last thing that's bothered me through this whole thing is that coronavirus was new, right? Yep. And, and when something new arrives, you don't really know that much about it. Yep. So when people would say, well, last month they told us X, and this week they're, holding a, they're telling us Z, I thought, well, of course, because we're learning more. That's how it works. I thought that was so bizarre that people seem to think if you said... Uh, one thing in January, you had to keep saying the same thing in June when you learned all these new things. Yeah. Is, is that an American thing or is that a political thing or is that a human nature thing or what? It's a, it's a, it's a multiple. I mean, so first of all, it's not American. We saw the same kinds of issues and challenges in, in Europe and Asia, elsewhere, uh, that kind of questioning. Um, part of it, look, I, I think in my mind, I always ask, what could I have done better? What can public health people do better? I think we can do a better job of communicating how science works. Yeah. Right? I think we can do a better job of saying, look, this is my best guess at the answer today. You want the final definitive answer? You're going to have to wait six months. Yeah. But do you want like, my best assessment based on the data we have? This is what it is. But I have to reserve the right to change my mind as new evidence comes in. That's how I practice medicine. I do not practice the same medicine I practiced 20 years ago. That would be bad medicine because so much has changed in the That's last right. 20 years. My treatments have changed. My tests have changed. It wasn't, doesn't mean I was wrong 20 years ago. We just learned new stuff. That is the model that we have to do a better job communicating to people. My sense is a lot of people got that. A lot of people understood that we were all learning together. And as long as I think you communicate openly about that stuff, I think most people are pretty trusting of it. Before you go, do you have an agenda at the, uh, at the School of Public Health in Brown? I mean, is, uh, what, what are you doing there? I know you're the dean, but yeah, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah, so here's, here's the agenda, very specific. Um, we have seen an unprecedented decline in life expectancy in the last three years. Um, the whole world saw a decline. Most of the world is, re- is recovering. America is not. And by the way, life expectancy is a sort of funny statistic. The way to think about it is more and more Americans are dying younger than ever before. Not ever before than they were five years ago. Mm-hmm. That is a huge problem. And we do not have a national strategy on this. And I think there's a whole bunch of important work to do to deal with fentanyl and opioid crisis, mental health issues. So there is no shortage of public health work to be done. And I feel like Brown School of Public Health is pretty well poised to tackle a lot of that stuff. So before you go, uh, you're one of the premier public health experts in this country, if not the world. Marjorie has a question, too. Our final topic today after you leave, we do once a year is how to stay cool on the hottest days. Yeah. You know, on July 4th, hottest day ever. Yeah. Recorded yeah. history. Okay. Marjorie's prescription. Here we go. Excuse oh, me. Here we go. Marjorie's prescription. I feel like I should not get into it. No, I think as a doctor, <laughs> this will appeal to you. Marjorie wets her sheets and then puts them on the bed 
and then lies on the wet sheets. As a doctor, as a public health expert, how would you react to Marjorie's prescription? I think Marjorie's really smart. I think she's on to something. There you really go. Good. There you go. He is Thank so you full very of much. This guy. Thank you very much. Okay, I have. I do have one last question, yes. and, and it's this. Um, it's it's beginning of July. Yeah. Can we enjoy ourselves, relax this summer? We, you know, we can go yeah. places and not be worried about it. Look, I'll tell you what I do. I'll tell you what I advise my elderly parents who are in their 80s to do. Okay. Right? Um, I basically do everything I was doing before the pandemic. Okay. Um, I stay up to date on my vaccines. I got, my, I got mine uh, in September, but my elderly parents, they got theirs this spring. They got a second shot. Um, we have access to treatments. Treatments are still free out there. I really think if you get infected today... You should be evaluated for getting treatments. Treatments are fantastic and widely available and free. I think, look, for even for most immunocompromised people, vaccines, treatments continue to work extraordinarily well. Um, I, my feeling is if you are like really focused on avoiding infection, sure, you can avoid indoor spaces or wear a mask. Um, but the point is, I can't promise you that the virus will be in any different shape a year from now or two years from now right. or five years from now. So you have to make some choices of what are you willing to give up forever. And I feel like most of the stuff that I enjoy, seeing families, going out to dinner with friends, those things are important. Okay. And we can do them safely. Go I ahead. hope you'll stay. In, we're very interested in this life expectancy work you're doing. I hope you'll stay in touch with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. It's wonderful to, to see hey, Dr. Yeah, thank You've you very much thank for you. coming in to speak with Dr. us. Dr. Ashish. Naomi Westmore, it's great to have you here. It's so good Hi, to see you. Hi, it's so wonderful to be with you both. Yeah, as I told Naomi before we went on the air, my dear friend there, Jessica, familiarized me with your turn me on, I should say, that sounds better, to your music a while ago. Oh my so God. this is going to be a big thrill for everybody coming up. But first, tell us about what's going on tomorrow at City Hall Plaza. Uh, what is the BBG? What's that all about? Yeah, so Beats by Girls is a nonprofit. We're a global nonprofit, and we have a chapter in Boston. And our mission is to make music more equitable for gender minorities. So we do that in lots of ways. We do that in education, community, and also opportunities for artists. You've talked just not about the performing end, but also, and you've gotten into this yourself, the backstage, the, the tech stuff, and yeah. the production stuff. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, it is mostly male. Yeah, and it's also mainly men who get um, access to the opportunities as well. So a lot of women and gender minorities um, are are doing the work, but they don't have the opportunities um, to get the jobs. So how's that playing out tomorrow from noon to eight on City Hall Plaza? Yeah, so we have an all-women and gender-expansive lineup. So all local Boston, greater Boston artists who are amazing, um, but don't always necessarily get the opportunity to headline or, or be in a festival or giving them a platform. Um, and then just in general, the whole entire festival is produced by women and non-binary people. Anybody else doing this anywhere else? You said this is a local chapter, but is, are people doing this around the country? Yeah, so Beats by Girls has chapters globally. So oh, um, there's a big festival in Turkey with the Beats by Girls Festival oh in Turkey God. last year. Um, and also other Beats by Girls chapters are doing things in the classroom and, and community events, so all kinds of things. And we- you, in between the acts, you'll be doing tarot card reading tomorrow. <laughs> I will not be. <laughs> oh, you'll not be. You'll- no, I'm going to probably be running around making sure everything's working you, you, smoothly. You started writing at four. Yes. That's, yes. that's pretty precocious. Yes. What was that about? 
I, it just happened naturally. I yeah. don't know. Just kind of channeled through me. So. And you write your songs. Yep. Yep. I write all my songs and I write poetry. Yes. So well, I know about the four, is it a four day Mary Oliver thing that you're doing yes, on the Cape? Um, on the Cape She's in one November. Of our She's one of my what favorites What to do with that well. one beautiful life, that last line yes. of that poem. Yes. So, so. What, what, let's see. What are you doing with Mary Oliver? I mean, I read about it, but people may not know. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah. So I'm working with, uh, Not Sorry Productions and we're doing a Mary Oliver pilgrimage on the Cape in November. And we're going to be treating uh, Mary Oliver as if she was a sacred text. And so we're going to be reading and walking and meditating and, and writing about her. And she lived in Provincetown for yeah. years, yeah. Yes. right? Mm-hmm. I think, didn't she move to Florida or something? She like did, yeah. She, she died right she lived in Florida. Florida. Yeah. So, we're talking to Naomi Westwater. It, it, we praised Mayor Wu before for her strength in the face of opposition in terms of these bike and driver battles. But I assume something like this could not happen without the city being a partner. Am I right, I hope? Yes, yep. The Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture um, gave us a grant so that we could do this, and they're letting us use the space. That's terrific. So it's very exciting for us to be in such a central location in the city. You know, what is in the middle of City Hall Plaza now? Is it still that big kind of sidewalk Big sidewalkers it's, or something. It's pretty, it's pretty empty, so we're going to fill it up tomorrow. Yeah, because for a while they had chairs there. Then they were talking about putting There's some benches and, and some garden space, too. So well, Can I tell you what they've done beautifully, by the, in addition to what you're doing tomorrow? You, it's really hard to drive by City Hall Plaza, which I do more than you, because mm-hmm. of where I live, where there's not some event there. There are tents up. There are food things. There are a whole, there's a lot of music that's done there. So Wu and her people have really, I think, done a great job of converting what used to be a vast wasteland into something useful usable and enticing to people. So what are you going to play? Um, right now I'm going to play a song called Eat My Cake. Okay. Don't play it yet because I have a couple more questions. Okay. Oh. You can play <laughs> I'm sorry. And, no, it's okay. It's fine. First of all, do you want to, since you are going to play, want to introduce your bandmates for yeah, a second Yeah, we've here? got Talia Rose on the electric guitar and Samantha Rose on the electric bass. And they're not related they're allegedly? They're not related, just roses. Do you know that to be true or do you not know that to be <laughs> we true? We haven't done a 23 test <laughs> or anything. Okay. So but I want to know, you have also an EP coming out? I'm working on an album called Cycle and Change. Yeah, it's a, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a 16-song album I've been working with Don Mitchell from the band Darling Side on. And um, it follows the life cycle of the year. So each of the songs are placed in a season. Um, it's just kind of about the cycle of, of life. It's been a, a, a big labor of love, but it's very exciting. We recorded it out in Western Mass in an old church. Oh, um, so some of the songs have this, you know, very holy sound that we've been able to capture. That's beautiful. Okay, speaking of the cycle of life, you were involved for a long time with the Modern Love Live for, for BUR. The, the I did, thing. yes. Okay. I, pro- I was, at one point I was a producer for a little while. Oh, yep. okay. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, Modern show. Love started out, as a, it was a weekly feature in the New York Times. It was talk about someone's love story, then it became a podcast. And a lot of people thought that, you know, they read enough Modern Love excerpts or heard enough of the podcast that, the romantic problems would be solved and they wouldn't have to, to worry anymore. Did you gain any wisdom from your time as producer there? I mean, should we just keep reading and hoping that things will turn around? Yeah, I mean, I worked on the live show and I think the wisdom that I gained is, is I mean, it's, it's all self-work, right? Self-work, like, like that's it's, right. In general, stories are so helpful, but they really are meant for us to reflect back on ourselves. So. Yeah. There's some great stories on Modern Love. Yeah. But I haven't really been able to change my whole life around so they, there you go well we don't have enough time for you to change your life around marjorie because it's only a three-hour show can we get back to this thing are, are things changing i mean I, I know you describe what the purpose of tomorrow and a lot of your yeah. work is but we've had a lot of guests here in the last i'd say six months 
who are talking about things not unlike what you're doing. And it yeah. seems to be at least little breakthroughs here and there. I'm not saying without struggle, but it is changing a bit. Is I it think not? there's change. I, I don't know if the change is happening fast enough. I would love for there to be so much change that our organization doesn't need to exist anymore. Yeah. That's like the ultimate goal is that for us to create so much equity in the music industry that we're not even needed. So yes, there's change happening, but we're so far back yeah. um, for gender minorities that the rate of change needs to happen a lot faster. Well, well, you know, you, you were just speaking about gender minorities, but, but you talked about um, um, George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, mm-hmm. and, and part of that something that I think, I mean, that started some change, yeah. I think, in terms of cops and policing and all that kind of stuff. But you talked about something that I was embarrassed I hadn't thought about, the, the publicness of his death. Yeah. What would you say about that? I said it was like a lynching. So I think that's something that was maybe why it's so striking and, um, you know, it's terrorism to, to kill someone that way. So I was, made a whole um, album and did a campaign. I covered um, Strange Fruit. Yes. And I listened to that this that. morning, by the way. It's, Let me just say, you. that is so beautiful. It's a haunting You're song, really and I, I, I can't always sing it because it's so emotional. But, um, yeah, that was... I think just right for the time and something I wanted to do at the yeah. time. Yeah, well, I think that's something you, that, that you, I didn't really think about at the time, but for him and his family to have that publicness was, on the one hand, awful, but on the other hand, it was why the change happened, I think, yeah. when you had to look at that awfulness. Yes, but, yeah. it, you know, it, it's um, murdering someone publicly terrorizes the public, and that's the tool of it. Yeah. It's to scare everyone. Strange but like everything else in this culture, by the way, well, and it relates to the question I asked you a minute ago, there was a lot of movement in unlikely places in this population as a result of, of what they saw. Right. And of course, like everything else in this society, the movement is back to where it was before in lots of places. You are going to sing now. Yeah. Uh, what are you singing first? I'm singing a song that's coming up off the new record, Cycle and Change, which is Eat My Cake. Oh, we heard you do the rehearse before. Put your headset down uh, gently, if you will, Naomi, and then join your bandmates and... We heard the three of you doing this before. It is yes. truly beautiful. And both of us heard uh, Naomi's version of Strange Fruit. It was beautifully arranged, and it's uh, worth listening to, too, when you look it up on your Spotify, wherever you get your music. Here it is, The Roses. Is that okay to say? I sure assume it is. And Naomi Westwater uh, doing Eat My Cake. Thank you. 
Join us for a couple of seconds. That was just beautiful. Eat my cake. Yeah, that that was absolutely. Naomi, you beautiful. come back. She is. Yes. So, tell us, Naomi. There's something going on uh, um, September 13th. This festival about reimagining the little affair. What's that about? Yeah, that's with Club Passim. I'm part of the Club Passim Folk Collective. Yeah. Um, we're doing amazing work there, and uh, we're going to be doing a show reimagining Lilith Fair. So we're going to be paying homage to the feminist movement and the music industry in the 90s, but also kind of talking about um, what that movement missed. You know, when I asked you before, Naomi, about whether or not change is happening, and you say not at the pace it needs to happen, you're part, are you not part of this Club Passim folk collective? We had Cliff Notes here a month ago or so, who's beyond, talk about a presence. Oh my God, they are amazing. Uh, uh, Tell us a little bit about what's happening over at Club Passim. I'm really proud of what's happening at Club Passim and really amazed. I think, you know, we were talking about George Floyd earlier and I think his murder kind of, kind of steered some things and, but you know, a lot of people said they were going to do stuff. A lot of organizations mm-hmm. said they were going to do things, and then nothing's happened. Yeah. And I think Club Passim is actually following up on that. So they're trying to make the folk scene both at their, you know, at, at the club and at the venue, but 
beyond the folk scene in America more inclusive, more equitable, and they're putting a lot of time and effort and resources towards it. It's like regular. It's not like a one and done PR deal. I mean, they're actually they're meetings. No, it's, it's, and yeah, we're, we're we meet and there's shows, and you know, we're we're looking to continue on to next year. So, Fabulous. I think they are leading the folk scene into in this new wave of folk. Can you give us before you perform another uh, uh, song before you go? Give us a little taste of what people are going to get from 12th Day tomorrow. Some of the yeah, players. it's going to be amazing. So it's it's all genres. First of all, it's free, 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 free. So everyone come. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's all genres. We're going to be starting off with Jimena, um, who is a fl- from Florida. She lives in um, Boston, though, and she does electronic music. Um, Mint Green, that they do more like indie rock they're going to be playing. Uh, the headliner is Bad Snacks. She's absolutely amazing electronic artist who also plays the violin. Um, Brandy Blaze will be doing hip hop. Uh, Doll Trick is going to be doing pop music, and we have uh, DJ One Eight Hundred Short King DJing. Nancia is going to host. It's an incredible lineup. I feel so honored that they all said yes <laughs> to be a part of it, and and we're all all the artists are just so excited to be and you're playing. playing. And I'm we playing. Should be I'm clear. playing. Yes, yes. You're <laughs> playing. and so, you're going to play again right now. Yes. What, what this time? Uh, this is a song that is also coming up off my um, new record, but we recorded it a totally DIY in, in my in my office at home. Um, it's called Solstice, and it is about the winter solstice and, and the return of the light that kind of comes. When so that's going to be in the new EP, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cycle and change? Yes. Cycle yeah. and change. Great. Do you want to join your yes. bandmates again? Again, they'll be performing tomorrow at this 12-date uh, Beats by Girls. I think we heard Free uh, several free. times. That free. That is right. Unbelievable talent and free uh, on what's supposed to be a beautiful day at City Hall Plaza. Solstice. I woke before the sun I'm trying not to give in to darkness
still waiting on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of Boston Public Radio podcast from GBH. Our crew is Zoe Matthews, Aidan Conley, Nicole Garcia, Hannah Loss. Our engineer is John the Claw Parker. Our executive producer is Jamie Bologna. You want to hear the full show? Download our full show podcast or tune in to 89.7 GBH 11 to 2 each weekday. Today's episode was produced by Zoe Matthews.